Good morning. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 2. And if you would stand for the reading of God's Word this morning, we're going to read verses 8, 9. Verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you. God, that we are not left guessing about who you are. Lord, we are not left guessing about what salvation is. Lord, we're not left guessing trying to understand our need for salvation. For Lord, you have revealed to us truth. You have shown us in your word the way of true salvation. You have shown us in your word our great need for that salvation. And so, Father, I thank you for that. I pray, Father, that as we pick back up in these verses that we've been lingering in since last Lord's Day, that, God, you will... Uh, Lord, enlarge the hearts of believers to rejoice and be amazed more and more by your great grace. And Lord, I pray for God, those that, Lord, have not been awakened yet by the gospel. I pray, God, that the message of saving grace would bring true conversion in their lives. So, Lord, I pray that you are honored. I pray that you are magnified. I pray that you are glorified. Lord, we thank you for your abundant saving grace. Grace that was seen in the embodiment of Jesus Christ. Lord, it is in his name, the name of Jesus, that I pray. Amen and amen. Well, I, I drop again as the title over this text, True Salvation, because we have in verses 8 and 9 what I would call the mechanics of true salvation. I mean, there's no guessing about what it means to be saved. Because I know a lot of people, we, they bounce that term saved around like, uh, like it's some kind of ping pong ball. And people mean different things by what it means to be saved and what salvation is. And really it doesn't matter what you 
think in your mind salvation is. It doesn't matter what grandma said salvation is. It really doesn't matter what your church or your dogma says about what salvation is. What matters is what the Bible says is salvation and what it means and whether that Re, what the Bible is saying, whether it's a reality in our hearts and lives or not. So, here in Ephesians chapter number 2, verses 8 and 9, we have the light thrown on the mechanics of true conversion, on the mechanics of what it really means to be saved. And so, I am excited to look at these verses this morning because it reminds me of how I am who I am. It, it reminds us of how you became who you are as a Christian. It reminds us about the grace of God. Now, last week... We really, I kind of went in reverse order. I said, I want to plant my feet in verse 9. And we sort of bled up into verse 8. And there were really just two main things that I wanted to communicate to you last week about true salvation. About this salvation that Paul is writing the Ephesians about. And those two main things were simply this. And that is that salvation is not... Let me hear you say not. Salvation is not based on works. The text says it is not the result of works. But that it is... Let me hear you say it is. But it is... Through faith. It is through, not by, but it is through faith. And so we, we, we discussed those somewhat last week. Now today, we're simply going to really um, just zone in more on verse 8. But really, what I really want to do is us just cherish the amazement of what verse 8 is saying. This amazing grace that saves. Hear the words of Paul again. Okay? For by grace, grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Wow. Do you hear that? Oh, do you hear that? That, that's, wow. You are saved by grace. True salvation is the product of amazing grace. That, that's charis in the Greek. It's talking about, by definition, it's un, God's unmerited favor. But I'll have to be honest with you. Our human definition of grace is highly lacking. It is so much more than that. Okay? But you are saved by grace. You're saved by God's unmerited favor. Not by your own doing. It is not by faith, but through faith by grace. 
Grace, grace, grace. It's all of God's grace from A to Z. It's all of God's grace. And, and if you're not saved by grace, you're not saved. For you are saved by grace. He says it right there. He said it earlier in chapter 2. Grace is the basis of true conversion. One writer put it this way, and he defined what grace means, and and I, I like the way this is worded. I'm going to share this with you. The grace of God means that God reaches out to those who deserve nothing from Him but His judgment and condemnation. The grace of God means that God turns His favor toward those who deserve His wrath. The grace of God means that God reaches down to those who cannot reach up to Him. The grace of God means that God goes to those who will not come to Him. Lost sinners are dead, depraved, deceived, and doomed in their sins. But God in His grace reaches out to save them. And it is an amazing and abundant grace. End quote. Now, when we get to the New Testament and Paul, especially Paul, is talking about this grace. It's not like all of a sudden God decided when we get to the new covenant that we're going to change the way He saves people. That, that's not what's going on here at all. I want you to understand, this grace that saves, that brings true salvation, this grace, this is the way God has always saved. Do, do you hear me? The cross... What Christ did is the center of, of everything in the Old Testament is pointing towards it, and everything in the New Testament, we're looking back towards it. Okay? As one Christian rapper put it, uh, we are in the Old Testament, we were, we were saved on uh, credit, and now in the New Testament, we're saved on debit. <laughs> Just think about it. But we're, we're saved by the cross. We're saved by grace. They looked forward to what Christ was going to do, though they didn't know it as fully as we do, and we look back to it. But that grace is the same. It is, it is the same. God's plan of redemption has been His plan of redemption before the world was ever created. The gospel was the plan before you were ever a thought. The gospel was the plan all along. It's not like all of a sudden God decided, oh, I'm going to do something different. I made a mistake. No, God doesn't make mistakes. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, you see the thread of grace illustrated all the way from Genesis to Revelation chapter 22. 
Matter of fact, we went back, we went back to Genesis last week when we were talking about not being the, the result of works to show you how the human tendency is to naturally begin to try to work and do something to impress God, trying to work and trying to, trying to, to, to build a, a ladder to heaven as if there's some little steps, some little things we could do to get there when there's nothing. That's the human tendency. And we saw that in Adam and Eve with the sowing of the fig leaves when they rebelled against God. But if you go back to Genesis, and you go back to Genesis 3, you also see in the very moment sin entered the world, you see the grace of God. If you will remember in Genesis chapter number 3, Adam and Eve insufficiently tried to cover the nakedness of their own rebellion. It didn't work. But when you get to verse 21 of chapter 3, what do we read there of Genesis chapter 3? We read that the Lord God made for Adam and his wife a skin, took a skin and clothed them. In other words, God provided for them what they could not cover themselves. Do you hear me? God provided for them what they could not cover themselves. You, you can go fast forward again to, to chapter 4. We saw where Cain's, I mean Abel's sacrifice was the only one that was acceptable unto God. Because what was Cain trying to do? Cain was trying to offer the what? The works of his hand, the sweat of his brow. You can fast forward to Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22, we see that occasion where Abraham was going to offer his, 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 his son Isaac. Here's Isaac. He, this was the son that was promised to him. He was promised he was going to be blessed through this, this son. And here the Lord is, is, is he's, he's going to go sacrifice his only son Isaac on an altar, and as he's going there, what, what, what does the Lord do? For the Lord provides for him a ram. Remember the story? And that is where we first have the revelation that God is, He is Jehovah Jireh, as mistransliteration of it, but that He is the Lord who provides. He is, it is His provision. The Lord provides. We cannot save ourselves, but the Lord provided. And, and that, and that the, what was going to come through Isaac, who was spared, by the way, was going to be the Messiah that would bless all the nations of the earth. Wow. That is amazing grace. You can go to the book of Exodus. You go to Exodus chapter 12, and in the Passover, you see the grace of God. It was the blood of the Lamb over the doorposts that would spare the children from being slain in the house whom doorpost was painted with the blood of that Lamb. My friend, they, wasn't, they weren't spared because of, of their own works, but it was because of that blood. You can go from there, you can go on and you can think of so many other places in Scripture 
where you see it is God's provision that saves, not man's work. Now, think about it for a moment. Think about your own conversion. Think about your own salvation for just a minute. If it is true, oh my goodness, then you know your confidence for that salvation is not in you. It's outside of you. Guys, there's so many different elements to my own testimony that I can tell you, but I remember my life at the moment of conversion. I remember what was going on. I remember the, 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 the flirtation with agnosticism and deism and, and the, the wrestling with the reality or, or, or of the God of the Bible and all of these strange, weird, intellectual arguments and things that would go on in my mind. I got into some weird stuff. I can remember my obsession with the occult and with a lot of different things. I could remember these things. And I remember that the day that I was awakened to who Christ was, I wasn't looking for Him, but it was grace that awakened me. And part of my salvation is simply this. I was dead, but He made me alive. And ever since then, oh, I am not yet what I shall be, but I am growing in conformity to that. Wow. But it was His grace. Was it? I certainly wasn't trying to work my way to heaven when Christ came to me. For He came to seek and to save that which is lost. That is grace. That is grace. Now, think about what Paul's saying here. He says, for by grace you are saved through faith. And he says, it is the gift of God. It is not of your own doing so that none of you can boast. That's simply amazing. You think about it. That is simply amazing. Paul is telling us that this is the gift of God, not of you. All of it is a gift. Listen, the salvation is a gift. The faith is a gift. None of it is the product of anything within yourself. And, let, and, and guys, from the context and from human experience, it should become quite obvious why it is a gift and why we could never earn it. What did we learn back up at the beginning of chapter 2? We learned exactly who and what and how we were pre-conversion. What does the text say? Oh, let me go back up and remind you of what we were, okay? He says, and you were dead in your trespasses, in your sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We, listen, we were dead, we were deceived, we were depraved, we were doomed. 
We were objects of wrath. Listen, our will was enslaved to the prince of the power of the air. We could not do anything to bring spiritual freedom. But God, the text goes on and says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that the immeasurable in the, in the coming ages He might show you the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward those in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not the result of works so that no one may boast. Wow. Wow. In our lost condition, in our pre-converted condition, you didn't have hope apart from God's grace. You hear me? You didn't have hope apart from God's grace. A dead sinner can't just up and decide, oh, I'm going to get saved today. That's not where the mind of the sinner is. That's not where the mind of the dead man is. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 44, He said that you can't come to Me unless the Father draws Him. He has to draw you. He has to. He has to. Or there is no coming to Christ. And my friend, that is grace. That is grace. That is grace. The act of faith is ours to make, but the faith to act on came from God. I'll say that again. The act of faith is ours to make, but the faith to act on came from God. MacArthur says it, well, when he puts it this way, faith is simply breathing the breath that God's grace supplies. And he is right. And that, my friend, is why when you think about your salvation and you think about your conversion to Christ, you should be totally amazed with the Christ who saves I would suggest to you in your evangelism, if it is true evangelism, as you're sharing your testimony, it's more the Christ who saved you that you're shining the light on than it is you. I listen to many men stand up with their arrogance and with their idolatry and they toot the horn of their past lives and they're not making much of Jesus like Paul did. They're making much of who they were is as if they were some, some superstar sinner that got saved by Christ. They make much of themselves and not of Christ. Maybe they have well intentions, but it is Christ that should be magnified. It is Christ 
that saves. And Christ saves the drug addict just like He does the little child that's been raised in church all their lives. And both of them have a testimony of the grace of God that is equally valid. Equally. There's a lot of boasting that goes on in in people's in themselves, and they call it boasting in the Lord, but it is not the Lord in whom they boast. It is their own religious flesh. And it sickens God. That's all it is. That's all it is. And so when we think about our salvation, if it's true salvation, we're all in awe of of Christ. And we're all in awe of who He is and what He has done and what He has achieved. We are amazed at Christ who is full of grace and truth. The only begotten of the Father. We're amazed by Him and Him alone because it is Christ who saves. It is not a prayer that you pray. It is not an aisle that you walk down. It's not a baptistry that you get dunked in. It is Christ and Christ alone that saves you. You hear me? He saves. He does it. It's His grace. And if you have... Listen, the grace of God is the place of where your confidence rests. It cannot rest in anything you do. What you do is the result of grace. Now next week we'll get in verse 10 and we'll talk about how grace works. Grace produces. But when it comes to our salvation, it is not the result of those works. That's the difference. There's a difference. You see, it is amazing grace that saves. You hear me? amazing grace that saves for you are saved by grace when I think of the wickedness of my own heart and what it was I am in awe of the God who touched my life and saved me. I get no credit in that. Do you hear me? I will not be judged based on what I do. I will be judged based on what Christ has done when it comes to salvation. Now the lost people are judged by every little deed they do because that will determine how hot hell's going to be for some of them. I think that it would be quite appropriate for me to close with these words. The words of John Newton. He was gloriously changed by the sovereign grace of God. And he wrote a song. 
Maybe you've heard it. (laughs) Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. His, he will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Glory to God in the highest. The song of John Newton can be a new song in your spiritual journey. I would ask you, do you want to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then come to Him. Call to Him. Cry out to Him. He will not turn you away. He will not cast you out. He will not. Call on the name of Jesus. And may Jesus Christ and what He has done Become your confidence. I pray that your faith will rest in Him. That in repentance, and that initial repentance is about turning from yourself and your work and your effort to the only one that can save you. You will never be the same. Never. You won't be instantaneously perfect. But you'll be in a process called sanctification. And through a lot of sweat and tears and toil and heartaches, ups and downs and falling on your face and getting back up again because the righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets right back up. You still won't be the same. You will be on the narrow road that leads to life. And you will have exited the broad road that leads to destruction. 
And so the signpost reads, Whosoever, whosoever will come. And then one of these days, as Spurgeon says, you'll get into the gate of heaven and you'll look back over that door that said whosoever on the other side and you'll look up there and it says chosen from before the foundations of the earth were laid. Now that's a mystery. That's a mystery. And both whosoever and chosen intersect somewhere out there in a level of reality that is beyond your comprehension. So don't let, it, don't, don't, don't let it bother you. Do you hear me? I just know this. If you're in need of Christ, you come to Him. He will not turn you away. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father God.